Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Thank you for coming, worshiping with us here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, all of you who have joined us online this morning, we're thankful for you. Uh, and all of you who have joined us here in person this morning, we're glad that you have come to be a part of our services here today. And let me just echo what Pastor Ted said earlier. I want to wish all of you mothers out there a very happy Mother's Day. And I'm I hope that you will have a day that is spent with people doting over you and doing anything you want them to do all day long and that y'all just have a day where you're celebrated and you're loved all day. That's, that's what I hope because that's what, well, that's what my mom's going to get. I'm going to give her, she's sitting there, so I'm going to give her that all day and, and Caroline as well. Um, and and I, you, you, we do that because we know how much we love you, but, you know, all the rest of us realize how much we depend on our mothers. Maybe we shouldn't depend, though, on our mothers as much as I read about this one little 14-year-old boy who came home from school, and he came home, and he found much to his, uh, his great concern that his mother was up in bed, and she was sick, and he was hungry, and he went upstairs, and he found her there, and, and he, he went to her, and he says, Mom, I'm really, really sorry that you're not feeling well, but I want you to know I'm getting big now. And I'm strong enough that I think I can pick you up and take you down to the stove. So, you know, uh, moms are absolutely indispensable, and we know that. I mean, none of us would be here this morning without a mother, so we know how indispensable they are. But we're also in, they're also indispensable in all the things that they do. I was online looking at, at some various things, and then there was this one job description that I saw. A mother is someone who works 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the while doing the work of 20 people, but doing it all for free. Her responsibilities include, but are not limited to, being a personal chef, a housekeeper, a janitor, a nurse, a tutor, a taxi driver, a toy assembler, a troubleshooter, a personal shopper, a problem solver, a head cheerleader, a hairstylist, a storyteller, a keeper of secrets, a mediator, a counselor, a comforter, a security officer, a bookkeeper, and the overall glue that holds the family together. Now, I can tell you that's what Caroline is to my family. She pretty much is every single one of those things, and she is the glue that holds our family together, and I'm sure that many of you uh, can identify with that. Uh, I'm blessed, as I said, to have my own mother in, in our services this morning, and Caroline is somewhere on this campus doing something someplace, and, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to celebrate Mother's Day with those two uh, phenomenal women in my life, and many of you are blessed with that opportunity, but yet I know that there are some who are not blessed with that opportunity today. I know that death has claimed that, uh, that ability for you to do that, and I know that that brings heavy hearts for many. I want you to know I prayed for you. And I'm praying that God will give you the peace and, and the comfort that you need on this special day and give you someone to be able to share and some of those memories of your mother with, that you can rejoice in those memories because those memories are incredibly important. And so I pray that you will be given that opportunity today as well. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, please take them out. Turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter and to chapter 5, and we're going to we're going to settle in on verses 6 through 11 this morning. And, you know, as I just kind of scan the room, and some of you I know, know well, others of you I, I have gotten to know, and I kind of scan the room and I see the various ages and the various stages of motherhood. You know, some of you, are, you, you you've still got toddlers at home. 
and, and those toddlers need your constant attention. We, we in our home, we kind of know what that's like. Um, but then some of you have got kind of where we are a little bit. You've moved into where you've got elementary age kids, middle school age kids, even high schoolers. And you're involved in so many different activities that oftentimes you probably feel like your role as a mother is reduced to that person who washes clothes and, and just serves as a taxi driver, like we talked about earlier. And still others of you are, are you've got teenagers that, that, you know, they've moved on or maybe even college-age students. We're sort of in the, in kind of moving into that phase ourselves. And, and your child's beginning to spread their wings and trying to learn what it's like to be an adult themselves. And that's it's a whole different uh, kind of parenting thing that you're going through. We're experiencing that. And then there's still others of you that I look at across the room that your, parent, your kids have, have long since they've gone out. I talked about that this morning. Those, those kids have flown the coop, and then some of you are there because they've flown the coop, but they've come back. And so you're dealing with that too. And, and, and so, but in many cases, those require less hands-on activity. It's more of the consultant role, the advocate role, the guide. Here's what I'm convinced of. Regardless of what, what phase of motherhood or parenting phase that you find yourself in, it's my firm conviction that every mother in this room wants to be the best mom that they can be. In fact, I believe that's the conviction of everybody here. I think every dad here wants to be the best dad they can be. Every person here wants to be the best child that they can be. We want to be the best friend that we can be. The question is, how do we do that? How, how do we become the person that we need to be and that God wants us to be? What does it take to become the person that's like that? Well, I believe that this passage that we're going to look at in 1 Peter this morning helps provide us a definitive answer to that question. It's a passage that I believe every mother and quite honestly every other person in this room will benefit from today if we open our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through it. So if you want to know how you can become who you need to be and who God wants you to be, then let's hear the word of God this morning. First Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for this day that you have given us, this beautiful day, a beautiful day to be able to celebrate those ladies in our lives who have blessed us so much. I thank you for them. I pray a special blessing upon them today. Lord, knowing that, that we are where we are because many cases because of their, their efforts and, and because of the things that they have done on our behalf, but we recognize even more so that we are where we are today because of your hand and your, your blessing upon our lives. And so I pray today that our hearts would be tuned to you. As we open your word, as we study it, as we, 
as we read it for ourselves. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be able to, to move in our hearts and to bring to us the conviction in the areas that we need so that we might be changed, that we might grow in our faith and in the expression of our faith. I pray that today. I ask God that you would comfort the hearts of those who are hurting this morning and are brokenhearted for whatever reason that they may be experiencing, and I ask that your peace may rest upon them. And Lord, ultimately, I pray that our eyes would focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I pray that our hearts would be tuned to him. This is my prayer. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So the question that we want to consider this morning is, how can I become who I need to be and who God wants me to be? And what we immediately recognize when we read this passage that I just read for you there from 1 Peter 5 we immediately notice this, that Peter gives us a list of things that we are to do. He gives us a list of, of commands, imperatives. He, he gives us a to-do list. And, and he says this thing, he says, Humble yourselves, cast your cares, be sober, be vigilant, resist the devil, be steadfast in the faith. Those are some things that he tells us that we are to do. All of these things are on our to-do list. But I want you to notice that while Peter gives us these commands and this to-do list, he also gives us the reasons for why we should do them. He doesn't, he doesn't do what's typically done, what, what my go-to response is. You know, a lot of times when I'm at home and I tell my kids that they need to do something, you inevitably get the question, well, well, why? Why should I have to do that? What do you think I say in response to that? That's exactly right. Because I said so. Most times because your mama told me to tell you to do that. I want you to know Peter doesn't do that here. Peter doesn't give us a list of things to do and then not tell us why we are to do them. And actually, he actually tells us, here's the benefits that will come into your life if you do the things that I tell you to do here and that the Holy Spirit brings upon him to write. And what I want to do is I just want to provide you, as I want to do, I want to provide you with some hooks that we can hang our thoughts on as we work our way through this text. And the hooks actually are the subjects. It's the subject matter that Peter takes up. And the first hook, the first subject matter is just this. It's humility. Humility. Verse 6 begins with the word therefore. And I will just encourage you, you've heard me say this many times, but if you haven't heard it, just make a mental note of it. Anytime in Scripture when you see the word therefore, always look to see what it is there for. It is there to point you back to what was just previously said in verse 5. And in verse 5, we see a quotation from Proverbs 3, verse 34, which says God resists or God sets His face against the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Now, in light of that truth, in light of that truth that, by the way, which is stated numerous times throughout the whole corpus of Scripture that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, in light of that truth, Peter says, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He may exalt you in due time. That's what lets us know that humility is the first subject that Peter takes up here. Now let me point out to you that based upon what we read here, what we must recognize is that the mighty hand of God, the powerful, the sovereign, the commanding hand of God, well, He can use that hand to resist you and oppose you. 
Or He can use it to lift you up. Almighty God can use His hand to exalt you or He can use His hand to cast you down. The difference... The difference comes in how you approach Him. You see, the Scriptures make it clear that God opposes the proud. But He lavishes His grace upon those who are humble. Why is it that God responds that way? Well, the apparent reason is that those who are proud, those who are arrogant, well, they trust in themselves. They do not acknowledge their need of God. They will not admit that they need anything from God. And so the proud person goes through life believing that they can just take care of themselves and make their own way. And that's why pride stands in opposition to faith. But on the other hand, those who display true humility, those are the ones who trust in God. In fact, humbling yourself before God means surrendering to Him. It means submitting yourself to Him. It's an act of faith by which you declare your trust in God and in His ability to direct your life and to to work out His purposes according to His timing. And listen, whenever you do that, whenever you place your trust and your confidence in God, He will delight in you. You will experience His blessings in your life. He will give grace to you. He will exalt you. And listen, that's the rationale behind Peter's exhortation here. It's the reason why he gives this command. You see, when you humble yourself before God, you will experience God's grace because He bestows His favor on those who acknowledge their need of Him. In fact, that's exactly how a relationship with God begins. It begins with the act of humility by which you acknowledge your sinfulness and your need of salvation. And then by faith, you place your confidence in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, to save you from the penalty of your sins. Moms, dads, grandparents, kids, listen, no matter who you are, if you want to become who you need to be and who God wants for you to be, the very first step that you must take is the step of humility. It is a step of acknowledging your need of God and His grace. You must come to the point of surrender. You must come to the point of surrendering your pride and surrendering your self-sufficiency to Him. That's where things begin, but I want you to notice Peter doesn't stop there. That's the first step. It's the first subject that he brings to our attention, the subject of humility, and it bleeds over into the next subject, one that we've already identified, but now he goes on to talk about more fully in verse 7. Notice the second hook on your outline this morning. The second hook is trust. Trust. You see, the natural result of humility, the natural result of surrendering to God is to trust in God. And as Peter tells us, the trust that is, is demonstrated is a trust that's demonstrated by casting our anxieties, casting our cares Upon the Lord. One definition that I read of anxiety is this anxiety is the intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. So think about it. The natural outflow of this text then tells us that when we humble ourselves before God and when we place our trust in Him, He will exalt us and He will bless us 
And one of the many ways in which those blessings flow into our lives is through the experience of of releasing us from that excessive care and that excessive anxiety over our burdens. Now, Peter's not the first one to ever tell us this. In fact, he he gets a lot of what he gets from probably what was written in the Psalms, in Psalm 55, verse 22, where we read these words, "Cast, Cast your burden upon the Lord and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. But perhaps an even more familiar passage of Scripture are the words spoken to us by Jesus Christ Himself. You might want to write this passage down, go back and read it for yourself later. I'm going to read a portion of it to you now from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Hear what Christ says. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Therefore, verse 31, do not worry. Why? For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What we must realize is that just as pride obstructs us from becoming all that we need to be and all that God wants us to be, so does worry and anxiety. It it clogs things up in our lives. And therefore, we must understand that we are to cast our burdens upon the Lord. Casting casting means to throw something away from oneself. That's what what you do when you fish. You, you, You cast your rod, you cast the lure out into the water. Throw it away from yourself. That's exactly what it means to do here. You cast your burden, you, you, you push it, you throw it away from yourself and you throw it onto the Lord who, who then will carry that burden for you. In other words, we are to turn our fears and we're to turn our worries over to God and then we are to trust that He is going to meet those needs in our life and that He will bring His perfect will to pass in our lives. Now, Listen to me because I want you to make sure I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. This exhortation to cast your burdens and your worries and your anxieties upon the Lord does not mean that you're never going to have burdens and concerns that come into your life. It does not mean that there's never going to be sickness or there's never going to be financial strain. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be relationship issues that you struggle with. Nevertheless, what we are to understand is that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, recognizing His sovereignty and submitting to His will and to His control over our lives, well, then we recognize that we can rid ourselves of the anxiety and the worry that is caused by our troubles. One author put it this way. He says, we can refuse to be burdened down by care. We can reject the kind of worry that disturbs our peace and distracts our minds. So how do we do that practically? It's one thing to say it. What do we do? What's an active step that we can take in order to accomplish that? Well, to cast your care upon the Lord practically looks like going to the Lord in prayer. It really is an act of of beginning to talk to God about the things that you are struggling with. It's acknowledging your struggles. It's not ignoring them. It's not pushing them off to the side as if they don't exist. No, we identify those struggles and then we take them to the Lord in prayer. And when we do this, 
God provides supernaturally the peace that passes all understanding. We can experience peace in the midst of the storm. We may be going through one of the most difficult times in our lives, but when we can go to the Lord in prayer, knowing that He is a God who is greater than the struggles that we face, then we can be confident that He hears us and that He provides us that peace. We know serenity because we're confident in who God is. In fact, that's the reason that Peter says we should do this. He says, cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because He cares for you. Listen, if you don't hear me say anything else today, do not walk out this door without hearing this. God cares for you. He loves you. Jesus reminds us that if God cares for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, then how much more does He care for you? He says that in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus tells us that even if earthly fathers who are fallen and who are sinful, if they know how to give good gifts to their children then surely our Heavenly Father, who is perfect beyond measure and full of love, knows how to meet our needs. I think of you moms out there. I think of how you've held your little ones in your arms, how you've rocked them, you know, when they've been not feeling well and running a fever. You've used that pacifier and you've had to rock them to sleep. You've dried their tears bandage their skint knees when they come in from playing outside. You've put your arm around them when they've come home from school and some kid mistreated them and said something bad to them and hurt their feelings and you've had to be the one to comfort them. You know what it's like to encourage them when they've gotten a bad grade or maybe they struck out to end the game and they're feeling the weight of all of that. You've held their hand when they got the bad doctor's report and you've loved on them. There's a lot of you in this room that have gone through all of these various stages of motherhood and you know what it's like. And you know that even with all your faults and all of your struggles and all of your missteps, that you can still love your children as much as you do. Then listen, how much more does your heavenly father love you? He who is infinitely good and infinitely holy and infinitely powerful, He can handle your burdens. His heart is large and His shoulders are broad so you can cast all of your cares and all of your anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. So in helping us understand how we can become who we need to be and who God wants us to be, we've looked first at humility Second, we've looked at trust, and then we looked at the third hook of the text, and it's discipline. Discipline. Peter issues two imperatives back-to-back in verse 8. He says, be sober, be vigilant. We could translate the words this way, be self-controlled, be alert. Now, if we had been reading through the entire letter of 1 Peter we would immediately know that this was not the first time that Peter had said something along these lines. In fact, he begins straight out of the gate with something like that in chapter 1, verse 13. He tells his readers there to prepare themselves for action by being sober-minded. Then again, in chapter 4, verse 7, Peter issues this command. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Clearly, Peter is, is... 
emphasizing the need for living a disciplined life, a life that is committed to self-control and to vigilance. And, and with this, this issuance of, of these, self, uh, these exhortations, what we see is that Peter is bringing a measure of balance to our lives. Yes, we are to cast our anxieties and our cares upon the Lord because He cares for us, but we also recognize that we have a responsibility to live a disciplined life a life that is watchful, a, a, a life that, that is practicing that which we believe. And that's why becoming attached to a church and remaining faithful in regular attendance is important. It is why studying and reading your Bible regularly is important. It is why engaging in, in regular prayer to God is important. These are just some of the areas of of our lives in which we are to remain sober-minded. We are to remain disciplined. We are to exercise our spiritual muscles so that we can grow stronger in the faith. They also help us to become watchful and alert. And here's something that we shouldn't miss. Peter, Peter tells us that these things are important for us to do because we have an enemy out there who's roaming around looking for one that he may devour. He says, we have an adversary, the devil, who walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I am a, I am a sucker. For if I'm on one of those, if I'm scrolling the internet and they, they have one of those videos of the lions out there on the prowl going to take down some kind of antelope or something, I stop every time. I got to watch it. I got to see how they do it. I mean, and you know what I've noticed though? Oftentimes, unsurprising to most of you, those jokers are smart. They know what they're doing. They, they see and they look for the weakest animal in the pack. They look for the smallest often. They look for the one that they know is going to be an easy prey. You know how Satan works? Same way. He looks for the weak. He looks for, he looks for those that, that, that are, are easy prey. And the rest of Scripture testifies that as our enemy and as our adversary, he is searching actively for ways to destroy us. And the rest of Scripture testifies Satan is a formidable opponent. He's dangerous. He's deceptive, which is why we have to remain vigilant. It's why we have to be watchful. It's why we must remain disciplined. The danger that the devil poses is so significant that we cannot let our guard down and become complacent. We must not ignore him or underestimate his abilities. One preacher put it this way. He says, Satan wants to break down our spiritual disciplines. He wants to interfere in our relationship with God. He wants to pull us away from the nurturing arms of the church where our faith is sustained. He wants to devour us. And if we let him in even once, it's that much easier for him to get in a second time. So, he says, be disciplined so that you do not give him an opening. Be self-controlled and be alert. So listen, brothers and sisters, if we want to become who we need to be and who God wants us to be, we need to be humble. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. We need to exhibit trust in the Lord by casting our anxieties upon Him. And we need to live a disciplined life, always remaining alert and watchful. And then notice the last subject that Peter takes up, the last hook this morning is this. It's commitment. Commitment. He tells us in verse 9 to resist Him. That is, resist the devil steadfast in the faith. Or as some versions put it, standing firm in the faith. 
Now, initially, we might say, well, isn't that just the same thing that we just discussed in verse 8? And obviously, verse 8 and 9 have similarities between them because they both are talking about Satan, and they're both talking about our interactions with Satan. But the difference is that verse 8 tells us to remain vigilant and alert. Verse 9 explicitly tells us to resist him. So what does that look like? Is Peter encouraging an act of aggression? Is he telling us that we're to, we're to go out and attack Satan? No, the context says that we are the ones that are being attacked, that it's Satan who's coming after us. It's the devil prowling around looking for us. He's the one searching for someone to attack. So therefore, what Peter is saying is that we have to be on the alert so that when the devil does come to attack us, we'll be ready to resist him. And our resistance to the devil's attack, listen, it's rooted in our commitment, in our remaining steadfast to what has been taught to us and what we've learned. I like what Warren Rearsby says. He says, to resist the devil means to take our stand on the word of God and refuse to be moved from it. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in the words of Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Paul says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I want you to know both, both what Paul wrote and what Peter writes here in 1 Peter 5 emphasize the same thing. It emphasizes our, the necessity for us to remain committed, for us to remain fixed, for us to stand firm, to be unwaveringly committed to our faith. And when we do that, listen, when Satan comes and tempts us, we can turn to the Word of God to reassure ourselves of what is right and what we should do. And when, when Satan bullies us and he tries to, to back us into a corner about this issue or that issue, then we stand firm on what God's Word says. And when trouble comes into our lives and when the pain of loss grips our heart and we begin to question, is God really... Is God really there? And if he is there, does God love me? Because it doesn't feel like it right now. When that comes, listen, you know what we can do? We can turn to the word of God and we can remind us that there was a cross that Jesus Christ left heaven's glory to come down and be stretched out on and to die for my sin and for your sin. We can be reminded that there was a tomb that is now empty and that that empty tomb means that death, hell, and the grave were defeated and that Satan was defeated there. And we can be reminded that he has gone before us to prepare a place for us Then he will once again come again to receive us to himself so that where he is, there we may be also. We can remind ourselves of these things so that we can turn and look at Satan in his face and say, you have been defeated. You have no more power over me. And that is the means of resisting Satan. And the Bible says that he will flee from you. In fact, James says in James 4 verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's the same formula that Peter uses 
And it reminds us that before you and I can resist against the attacks of Satan, we must first bow our hearts before God. We don't fight Satan in our own power. If we do, we will lose every single time. Rather, our victory comes through what God has done for us in Christ. Now, what I want you to know is that just as he has done previously, Peter gives us the reason for why we should stand firm in the faith. And this time he uses something that's a little odd. He, he tells us that we're to stead, be steadfast because we know that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood, or as the NIV puts it, by the family of believers throughout the world. In other words, we're told that we aren't the only ones going through tough times. Listen, some of you mothers out there, you might find encouragement in the fact that sometimes it gets tough, and I know that it does. I know that the struggles that you go through are very difficult. But sometimes, at least it was for Caroline, it was nice for her to be able to call somebody else up who was in the same phase of motherhood that she was in and to be able to just talk about what they're going through. It's not that the situation changed so much as it was encouraging to know that there was somebody else facing the same set of struggles that she was facing. And I want you to know she still experiences that even now. I do as well. It's always good sometimes to talk to another pastor because he understands what, what I go through in ways that many of you would not, not understand. But it's, and, and in whatever field that you may be in, I know that it's the same. And that's the same reasoning that Peter uses here. As one pastor puts it, he said, when, when, when believers recognize that there are other believers in the world that are facing the same kind of attacks of Satan, it's encouraging because, listen, we're stronger if we stand together. And therefore, we must remain strong in the faith for the sake of the church and with the strength of the church. For the sake of the church and with the strength of the church. So those are the issues that Peter deals with. Humility, trust, discipline, and commitment. And he gives the instructions for what we must do and provides us with the reasons for why we must do them. And then he concludes with his just beautiful, beautiful words in verse 10 and 11. But may the God of all grace who gives us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever. And ever, amen. Listen, that's who God is. He's the God that comes in the midst of our storm and calms the seas. He's the God who, when we're weak, gives us the strength that we need to continue to move on. He's the one, when we're discouraged and ready to quit, is the one who encourages us. When we're tempted, He strengthens us. When we fail, He forgives us. That is who God is. And listen, if you, if you want to become the mom or the dad or the child or the grandparent or the friend that you want to be, that you know you need to be and that God wants you to be, I want you to know it will always and only start with submitting to God. That's the first step. In fact, it leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning. My sermon in a sentence is this, to be the person that you need to be and that God wants you to be, you must surrender your pride, your cares, and your heart to God. The question is, have you done that? Have you surrendered your heart to God? Peter reminds us God resists the proud, but he gives grace, grace to the humble. Surrendering to God is the epitome of humility. It is acknowledging that your only hope is found in him. 
And I want you to know Satan's going to try to deceive you from that. He's going to lie to you. For some of you, he's going to say, look, you know what? You're not that bad. You don't need all of that stuff that he's talking about. Look, you live a good life. Don't worry about that. He's going to deceive you. For others of you, he's going to deceive you in the other direction. He's going to say, man, there's no way. You know where you've been. You know what you've done. You know how far you've gone. There's no way God can forgive you of that. What I want you to know is both of those are lies. They're lies from Satan. The Bible tells us that all of us are sinners. There's not a single one of us in this room that escapes that judgment. Every single one of us are sinners, and we all stand condemned because of our sin. So do not believe Satan's lies that says you don't need him. But also don't believe Satan's lies that says you can't come to him because the Bible says that all who will repent of their sins and confess Jesus Christ as Lord, he will in no wise cast you out. There is an open arm policy with God and he welcomes all sinners who will come to him and repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus. Humble yourself before him. That's the first step that you have to make. Many of you have made that first step. Many of you need to make it. Those of you who have taken that first step, maybe, maybe you're struggling this morning because, well, you've not fully come to the place where you can trust God with all of your anxieties and with all of your fears and with all of your cares. I think the step that you need to take this morning is to remember that God cares for you that he loves you and that you can bring those cares to him and that he will take those from you. doesn't mean that all of your troubles are going to go away, but it does mean that you can continue to face life with the assurance that God is bigger than your struggles. Your confidence is not in your circumstances. Your confidence is in God. For many of you, it may be a place of discipline that you need to look at. There's been some things that's come into your life that has caused you to be moved off track and you've slid off the path of, of personal obedience and living a disciplined life. God's calling you to that. And then for others, it's a matter of staying faithful to that which has been once for all delivered to the saints. The scriptures, the, 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 the guide plan that God has given to us in his holy scriptures. I don't know exactly where you are today, but I do know this. In order for you to become who you need to be and who God wants you to be, these are the things that are absolutely necessary. Will you take those steps? That's the question this morning. Moms and dads, daughters and sons, sisters and brothers, this is the Word of God and is for the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the fact that it speaks to us right at the very heart of where we are, regardless of where we are. Your word is always timely. Your Holy Spirit always knows exactly what we need at just the right time. And I have no doubt this morning that you are speaking to many across this room in various ways. You're, you're either convicting them of areas in their lives that need to be surrendered to you perhaps maybe even for the very first time. You're either bringing them to that or you're bringing them to an area of discipline in their life in which they have become lax. Perhaps, God, you are also calling them to a deeper walk with you. There are some in this room that are just, this, this passage of Scripture is there to remind them of where their hope truly lies. It is in a God that saved them through Jesus Christ. Regardless of what the scenario may be, this is what I'm confident of, Lord, is that you're going to use this word 
to accomplish your will in their lives. Now, what I pray for them is I pray that they would walk obediently. I pray for that humility this morning, and I pray for that obedience. And I ask that you be exalted, exalted in this time of invitation and exalted in the rest of this day as we spend living it for you. I pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.